We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We're going to start out with the trade deadline recap brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a 50% welcome bonus. Darius, the trade deadline came and went. Uh, you were advocating... Pretty hard for your boy Coos to stick around, and that is what happened. And then he stuck up the joint. He's not against, our boy uh, Coos. We so we can't share it. <laughs> Let's share this, Pete. You know what? No. So this is. A, I was thinking about this last night with regards to you. You can be so acerbic on Twitter. Yes. Yet, yet you are the most optimistic person about the Lakers that I know. Sure. You have liked every young player that's come through here and deeply believed in them. They've been good. They have been good. The, yeah, ones who I, the ones who I have not liked. So there have been ones who I haven't liked. Yeah? Yeah. Like who? Um, Clarkson, Clarkson always pissed you off. I think he was the one guy. Yeah, but I mean, so I so we're already on. Yeah, we're already on. T- yeah, we're already <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, track, let's talk about right? this later. Let's, let's yes. later. But, but yeah, but uh, yes, no, Kuz, I didn't want Kuz to be traded either, right? Especially with how the trade market shook down the way that yes. it did, right? Let's talk about that a little bit. Like kind of give us the context of what this trade deadline was. I know you're happy with them standing pat. Why? Well, so I wrote a fairly detailed article over at Silver Screen and Roll about why I was against trading Kyle Kuzma. And there were a bunch of reasons in there. But one of them was sort of this domino effect of how all of these reasons connect to each other, right? And so I thought that it was going to be difficult to trade him alone 
for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, because his salary is so low. And then the aggregating of additional players, I thought that you're going to diminish depth and probably impact chemistry when you're starting to make these like larger three for one or four right. for two type deals, right? Like it's one thing to say, oh, well, let's upgrade on Kyle Kuzma. Okay, find a roughly two to $3 million player who is going to impact you in as many positive ways as Kyle Kuzma can. I thought that the Lakers have more holes than what a trade of Kyle Kuzma are going to fill, right? And I think we'll get into this a little bit more with like the Marcus Morris pursuit, but I thought the Lakers would be playing whack-a-mole a little bit with any trade mm -hmm. of Kyle Kuzma. Who are the under 25 players on this roster who could theoretically be contributors now and contributors two or three years from now? And, you know, Kuzma, Alex Caruso, Mm -hmm. Maybe THT. Maybe, maybe THT, but but that's like you're forecasting out on THT. So, so Caruso and Kuzma are rotation players now. They are contributors now. And that's right. why, um, surprise, surprise, they were probably the two most coveted players on the Lakers by other teams, right? Mm -hmm. And so if other teams want those guys, uh, I like to think the Lakers should probably want them too. Mm -hmm. I also think just in general, Kyle Kuzma is a talented player. I think he probably has not played up to his talent level this season. That's frustrated me. I know it's frustrated you. It's frustrated a lot of fans. Like, I hear that. I'm not ultimately averse to trading Kyle Kuzma ever. I just mm -hmm. thought that the circumstances around this trade deadline and the prospects of him actually improving in mm -hmm. the future were like that tipped the scales in favor of the Lakers keeping him, uh, along That's with right. all the other factors. That's right. And that there was nobody that was traded at this trade deadline where I was like, the Lakers should have traded Kyle Kuzma for that guy. Yeah. Like Spencer Dinwiddie came up, uh, you know, just very briefly, uh, Bogdanovich, a couple other guys w came up in the rumor mill where I was like, yeah, I would probably deal Kuz for that guy. Yeah. Right. But, and I would in a vacuum deal Kuz straight up for Marcus Morris, but there was no straight up, right? They were talking about Danny Green or like you said, those three to four player filler type, type moves. Um, and that's uh, neither one of those routes seemed tenable in, in my opinion. Uh, and we've been talking all season about how the Lakers need a shot creator yeah. and a wing defender. Marcus Morris is neither of those things. He's a very good player and he's physical and that's something the Lakers need. And I, I actually want to talk about this a little more later, but the Lakers being in this so-called like bidding war for Marcus Morris, really what I hope that was, I hope the Lakers were just trying to drive up the price for the Clippers, Me as well. right? Make them throw up that first round pick or just give up a little bit more as a result of that. You know, I think they downgraded a little bit on defense going from Harkless to Marcus Morris. They upgraded on the offensive end, especially with that starting group that where you've got one guy who's a five, who's not, who doesn't like go out to the perimeter, but that I, I don't know the d difference between the benefit of Morris on offense versus the benefit of Harkless on defense. So all in all, I, I'm fine with the Lakers standing pat. So there you have it. That's the betonline.ag uh, trade deadline recap. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. Uh, 
Darius, within that, you said that Kuz has not played up to his talent level with the implication that, you know, we all, that you believe it's there. And I do too, but the clock's ticking, man. It like, is. We're past that trade deadline yeah. now. He's going to be on the team. We know this for sure. And so does he. He is at best the third option on this team. The more time goes on, he's more just one of the role players, meaning that if he doesn't have it going that night, they just go in a different direction. Right. But I remember having these arguments uh, in, you know, a hundred years ago in internet terms, at least about Lamar Odom. You remember how inconsistent Lamar was? Yes. Like we were. I, I ran a website. And was a heavy contributor <laughs> to a website during yes. this period. Like, I am old. So when you say 100 years ago, yes, I was alive 100 years ago in internet years running right. a website. Like, I remember. And I remember my own frustrations with Lamar mm-hmm. Odom. I also remember supporting him doggedly mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. But go on. But well, but Kuz is no Lamar Odom, right? Like with Lamar, Lamar was a good defender. He was a good rebounder. Kuz has so, shown some flashes of that. But my, so I'm not trying to compare Kuzma to Odom in terms of caliber of player, sure. but there's a certain inconsistency that comes with being a third option or worse. We saw this with Chris Bosch and Kevin Love, who were former All-Stars and way better players than Kyle Kuzma is. My question for you is, what is fair to expect from Kyle Kuzma every night? Like I was furious at his defense in the Houston game. Yeah. Cause I like, I get the, you know, four point or six point nights here and there, especially with Rondo. I'm going to, I have a lot more grace for Kuzma on the offensive end until we get a real freaking point guard in that spot. But he's, de- he cannot have defensive nights like that, Darius. He just can't. I think it's fair to expect consistency on that end, at least in, in the way, like the types of mistakes, losing Covington on a cut and like, uh, or helping down on Westbrook when AD's got him contained, leaving Covington wide open for a three, just like the types of mistakes with all of the, the grace that you give Kuz, mm-hmm. what are your expectations for him? No, I want him look like the same with most every other player. Honestly, I want him to play hard. Mm-hmm. I want him to play smart. And I want him to make appropriate decisions within the context of his role and the game plan, right? And so, like, offensively, I think that those decisions offer much more leeway to him, right? And and so Kuzma's looked at as a scorer. He actually is the team's third leading scorer. So (laughs) um, I don't know if that makes him the third option. I actually think that the third option is wherever the ball ends up with an open player a lot of times with this Lakers team. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably harder for a player like Kuzma who does not get as many individual shot creation chances. Can, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Is there a way, is there anything Lakers can be doing to be more intentional with the touches that he's getting? Yes. And we've said this all year, man, like they could run more plays. They can run some of the stuff they run for other players for Kyle Kuzma. He is versatile enough to do some of the other things that get LeBron and AD the ball, but he is Mm -hmm. not. So here's the thing is he is not nearly as good as LeBron and AD, right? And so if you run some of the actions to put him in the same spots of the floor and then tell him to go do the things that LeBron and AD do, that's wrong. 
and he's mm-hmm. going to suffer for it. You can't mm-hmm. run him off of a couple of like screen options to get him onto a spot of the floor where he's got a mid-post ISO. That's mm-hmm. not what he's good at. Mm-hmm. They could be setting more cross-screen actions for him, the same sort of cross-screen actions that they run for AD. They can they can run a little bit more split-cut action off of the post. Mm-hmm. Kuzma got a couple of really nice layups, and one in particular that I remember off of a mm-hmm. nice cut from LeBron where it wasn't even a split-cut action. He post-entried. He acted like he was sort of going to clear cross-court, but then he then veered quick angle right to, to the hoop, and mm-hmm. LeBron put it right on his hands. If you're going to run as many post-ups as the Lakers do intentionally, you should be running some actions off of that in order to optimize some of the players that, that you have at your disposal. They should be running a split cut off of every post up, honestly. Bro, yes. Like they are they're so frustrating against teams that switch because they're bigger than everybody and they know they are, but they are profoundly stubborn with trying to throw the ball into the post. And then when they throw the ball into the post, there's not a lot that goes on off of that. Almost all of their post-ups are clear outs, right? With one side of the court, one guy's on one side of the court and guys will dive cut and, and relocate if, if they zone up, right? If the defense zones up a little bit, but there is no like action being run right now. Part of that is with defenses that switch defenses will switch that, but split cuts like you're talking about can beat those, right? Because for a split second, the defender that's just switching on to the guard that set the screen on the split cut is behind him, right? So this is the warriors who the, when they were good made a living off of this all of the time where Iggy or someone like that would set a screen. Now it helps when you got gravity of Stephen Clay, of course, yeah. but they'd say, and then dive to the basket and you've got easy layups out of that. Lakers don't do any of that type of action and they absolutely should. Well, what I'd say too, is that there are two or three or four reads off of a split cut as well amongst the two players who were screening for each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the Rockets ran a great split cut action out of a timeout It wasn't out of a post entry, but they ran it between Harden and Covington, right? Covington went to go screen for Harden. Caruso jumped topside in order to start to deny that pass potentially to James Harden. And Covington just slipped the screen entirely and Mm -hmm. cut back door for a dunk. That's one such read out of that action. But there's a ton more Like Mm -hmm. split cut actions between, for example, Danny Green and KCP could be super effective in order to free one of them for a wide open jump shot. There are split cut actions that you can run between guards and big men. If you're running AD, like what if AD is the one who's post entering to LeBron? You can then run back screen actions for him. You can do, there's just so many little variations and twists that you can run off of just this one simple action. And it's not going to, it's not going to create an open shot for you every single time. Like, let's not be dumb mm-hmm. and sort of overplay this one no. sor- sort of thing. It, it's, it should be a tool in their tool bag. Yes. That's it. Yes. Right? It's just one of the things that you can do. They are limited in the actions that they run. And so if that first thing doesn't work, there isn't like a second and third thing that does. So I have a question for you. One of the things that I'm wondering about in relation to a lot of the stagnation and lack of off-ball movement, particularly when the Lakers post up, is do you think it has anything to do with 
either LeBron and or Anthony Davis and the want for the Lakers to want to have their players in very sort of similar positions on the floor every single time in order to make those reads easier. Now, LeBron can make any read he wants, but I actually think that he prefers like a guy in the corner, a guy diving Mm -hmm. to the front of the rim who is my lob option, a guy at the shoulder area, and a guy as a release valve at like the top of the key. I think that that sort of standard operating procedure within most offenses. And I think it makes those reads easier even for a player like LeBron, right? And for Anthony Davis, he is not a good passer out of the double team. He's just not. Mm -hmm. I saw your Mm -hmm. video on him. That was great. That went up at The Athletic. Like, I think that he has fundamentals issues, which you outline. I also think that he has reps and decision-making issues that will come more with time. Like, they just do with big men. So I'm wondering, that's my question to you is, do you think that the Lakers are purposefully holding back some of that off-ball movement in order to make the passes out of the post reads easier? Yes, I do think there are for LeBron. I also think that exactly that plays a lot into why we're so bad when LeBron is out of the game. Uh, Rondo has rightfully been... uh, been really chastised for how he's played and his lack of shot creation. Um, but part of it is how we play because like, like you said, it's, it's nice to have that, that repetition that LeBron knows this guy's going to be in the corner. That guy's going to be there. This guy's going to be in the weak side dunker spot. And because with a guy like LeBron, he's almost always going to beat the guy in front of him, or at least, uh, when he drives to the basket, draw the attention of someone else. And then from there, it just becomes a numbers game, right? It's four on three elsewhere. And then it's LeBron, one of the greatest passers of all time, deciding, oh, the help came from there. That means I need to get this pass to this guy. And he's able at his size to throw jump passes with velocity on it. Basically, you're going to get an open shot, right? If if LeBron draws a second defender, the vast majority of the time, he's going to make the correct decision. You're going to get an open shot. That's all you want on offense. So there's value. Like there's no need to make it terribly complicated. And there's actually value in that simplicity and that continuity. The problem is that simplicity and that continuity in the hands of lesser playmakers, whether it's Rondo or AD from the post, then you do not have that same type of productivity. And you know who else it's easier for is the defense. Yeah. Right. And that is who those are like, there's so many possessions where it's like, Oh, well, we got five seconds left on the shot clock. Good luck. Right. Where no shot has been created in those 24 seconds in large part because of that. So the question becomes, can they bridge the gap with, with scheme or do they need personnel? And that leads me to, we'll get to Collison actually in a second, but one guy who's been brought up this week that I thought was really interesting was J.R. Smith. I actually don't hate the idea of J.R. Smith being brought on board. Um, a couple of caveats to that. He reminds me of JaVale in that he's the type of guy where historically throughout his career, um, I, I remember seeing JaVale in the finals and he made like three really good plays in, the, in a row, two on defense, one on offense. And then like the fourth play, he went stumbling out of bounds and it was a total Shackton moment. And everyone, ha ha ha, JaVale, right? And I'm like, this dude just made three great plays in a row, yeah. right? But the one we remember is the one where he looks like a fool, right? 
J.R. Smith has a lot of that to him, right? We remember him not remembering the score in a finals game and that meme of yeah, that yeah, picture of yeah. LeBron, what the hell are you doing, right? But J.R. Smith's also like been a big time shot maker in in game in finals games. In, yeah. Like he's been a part of teams like this. He can shoot in ways that our other guys cannot. He can make bad shots, which guys like Danny Green, when he's hot, can do that. Not really KCP. He also has some size. I think we're really small on our on the guards and wings. What are your thoughts kind of on on J.R. Smith? I, I mean, look, I like him fine as as a player. I think there will be frustrations that come oh, yeah. with J.R. Smith. And so I want us to be careful about the framing of him and not mistake the idea of him for him, if that makes sense, right? And so J.R. Smith has always been a tantalizing player based off of tools and the ability to be sort of a dynamic highlight player, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I don't mean highlight of like dunks, he has plenty, plenty of those, or three or four made threes in a row he's got plenty of those too he is just a player though that comes with his own set of issues his own set of problems and his own set of frustrations and i think the same is true even of like a player like darren collison i i I think we all sort of have our ability to convince ourselves of something that's lacking um Uh on the current team and then say oh well you know what this player has those things that this team lacks let's go get him while Mm -hmm. not necessarily capturing or accounting for some of the other aspects of their game that they bring to the table as well right like these guys aren't robots they're going to go out there and they're going to make mistakes too and those are going to frustrate us yeah that said i too would be on board with at least giving jr smith a look a workout for sure, see where Mm -hmm. his head is, see where he's at physically, because he is the type of player who checks a fair amount of boxes for things that this current team lacks. Shot creation, secondary pick and roll ability even, the ability to come off of a screen and shoot, the ability to spot up and shoot, the ability to get out and transition, the ability to defend a confidence and like a Mm -hmm. swagger as a scorer that in... In the face of playing with other great players who can sometimes Mm -hmm. dim that light in you Mm -hmm. because they are so great at those things themselves. J.R. Smith played next to Kyrie Irving and LeBron James and was just like, oh, you know what? I don't care. I'm letting this I'm ball this fly. Step back. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I'm, I'm letting that's, this that's fly. Not a, that's not a bad thing. No, though, it's not. Right. I'm framing that as as a, a positive, actually, within the context of this specific roster because – Like, you can already tell that Kuzma has had some of that beaten out of him a little bit. Well, he's also not old enough to be confident in it, right? Like, if you're getting yelled at by all the 30, like, that's that's the balance that Kuzma needs to strike, right? Is he talked about in that game uh, against Portland after Kobe passed, just talking about playing fearlessly. Yeah. And, and that is that is Kuzma when he's at his best. Like, these things are all, like, very cognitive in that, like, he's learning how to play winning basketball, but he's not playing fearlessly while doing that. And that that is where a lot of that gets in the way like with with jr smith 
I love like a good heist movie, right? I'm not a big movie guy, but sure. I love like the Ocean's Eleven type movies sure. and things like that. A lot of times in a good heist movie, you've got this kind of group of crooks and criminals working together on this big heist. And there's some aspect of it where they kind of run into a wall, right? And they need a, a guy who can do a certain job in a certain way, but he's kind of crazy and he's kind of a wild card. And like, that's very much J.R. Smith to me, right? It's also like, I view basketball, and I'm curious on your thoughts on this, Darius, if you perceive basketball in a similar way, is like basketball is a it's a combination of a bunch of different attributes that you need to have a good team, right? So like shot creation, rim protection, on-ball defense, weak side ro- rotation. There's 12, 15, however many different things you want to want to say, but that that go into like the better you are at these things, the better your basketball team is. And so when I think of those things on a like scale of one to 10, with one being the worst and 10 being the best, the, the Lakers have a couple of aspects to them that like their shot creation with their anyone outside of LeBron's collectively, they're like ones for NBA. They're like the worst group of shot creators in the entire league. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration to say outside of LeBron that that's so it's. And shot creation is so early on in the chain that that's why things fall apart when LeBron is not in the game. Yeah. Because there's literally, and, and so like uh, getting a guy like Collison, he's a good pick and roll player. He's not great. I don't want to act like Collison's some great player, but going from ones and maybe a two here and there to a guy who's like a five or a six. What? That's massive. And then J.R. Smith is a similar type of thing, right? Where we've got these like, but like if he's a three or a four, like, yeah, he's going to piss us off in a lot of ways. But if he's that upgrade from a two or a three, and I know how reductive that is, but it just like this specialist, that guy in the heist that is kind of a wild card, but you need him to do one job, just one job and get it done. I think Smith is actually an upgrade from a lot of what we have on the roster. Now, the beautiful thing about basketball and what I love about it as a sport and a game that I that I played and that I watch, right? is that every action that's happening on the court is fluid and built off of the thing that happened before it in mm-hmm. order to lead to the next thing, right? 100%. I love that. It is not like regimented like baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's or just even like, football, yeah. Or even football, right? There is a flow to it. And, and these flow sports, soccer is like this, Hockey is like this. There are these nuances within the context and the construct of how something builds up to get to an end point that if one little thing goes one direction that it's maybe not supposed to or Mm -hmm. that is detrimental, the whole thing falls off of itself. Mm -hmm. And I bring this up and this isn't to pick on Rondo specifically because I think that you could plug Alex Caruso's name in we'll, we'll, we'll into this same thing as well, or even Danny Green, or to a certain extent, KCP, because all of them run this play every once in a while, is look at how a pick and roll is defended. And look at Rondo, for example. The defender goes under the screen every single time, Rondo then has space to shoot his jumper, but doesn't. Does not, yep. Right, but doesn't. And it's like 99% of the time that he does not shoot that jumper. So then where does the ball go? Oh, does he dribble or does he kick out? If he continues to dribble, then it's a reset. And the shot clock that started at 16 or 18 when he started this 
possession is now at 13 or 12, and then suddenly you're in a part of the shot clock where, okay, things are starting to get problematic if you have not mm. begun anything. If, right. if he kicks the ball out, it's a very similar problem. There is no advantage gained. The defense mm-hmm. has done absolutely the most bare minimum in order to keep a play contained. And there is a certain leverage that you are looking for in every single offensive possession in order to create advantage. And this goes back to the point you were making about shot creation. And so if you do not have a player or multiple players on on the floor at the same time who can create advantage consistently mm-hmm. yes. or lead or initiate an action that starts the chain, right? Well, creating the advantage is what starts the chain, right? Like, why do teams run? Why is pick and roll go back to the 1920s? Yeah. Is because there's that brief moment of advantage where, like, even if they switch, right, you've got a mismatch, guys with different sizes and skills defending each other that inherently defenses react, you react to what the offensive player does. So even if they switch, you have gained an advantage. The problem with the Lakers is that, the way def- so defenses know that we cannot take everything away but so what they do is they're like all right we can what we can do is if, even if we can't take everything away what we can do is give you a certain thing right yes. and so with our guards they're like you need to score on us out of pick and rolls we will give you that quinn cooks the only guy who can do this amongst the guards and but that the advantage is created our players just don't have the skill set to capitalize on the advantage that's created. And so that's why when Rondo passes up that shot, like that under right there, the advantage is created. Yes. He just can't capitalize on it. He's not the only one. Caruso's tr- like I- even more so on pull-up jumpers yeah. is, is poor on these, right? And so the complete absence, it's like having the Lakers – when LeBron is off of the floor, it's like having a really nice car that doesn't have an engine in it. Like it might be nice to look at sitting in the driveway, but it's not going to go anywhere because these advantages that are being created cannot be capitalized upon due to the skill set of the players involved. Well, it's very interesting because if you look at how teams defend Rajon Rondo in in the pit pick and roll, it's probably not so different in terms of that initial thing of going under than what they do to LeBron James. Right. Sure. But sure. Look at the advantage LeBron is still able to create versus the non-advantage that Rondo can create. Even if LeBron, as well, is not shooting a bunch of pull-up jumpers right sure. from 18 feet when a guy goes under the screen. Do the Lakers have one pick-and-roll ball handler where the plan is to not go under? Mm. Cook probably. And he doesn't play. (laughs) Right. And also too, like when, but the thing is, is like, even with a guy like Cook, if you go, if you chase over the top, he's small. So you back pressure him. And then, and then you sort of half hedge and you get wide on him and he's small. So his windows are already small and then you make Mm -hmm. them smaller. So he's, he's not going to be able to hit the pocket pass. And that's not even his specialty anyway. Right. And so there are, when, We were talking earlier about that initial step of gaining advantage and then how you then start the chain in order to trigger more and more advantage until you get to the point where you're actually taking like a wide open shot. Mm -hmm. The Lakers cannot do that a lot without 
LeBron James or Anthony Davis being the one who is generating advantage based off of individual greatness, right? And it is, and and in AD's case, AD does not do that with the ball in his hands. AD does create advantage, but it's off of the ball. It's as a finisher. It's as a it's as a rim runner, as a roll man. Uh, he can score himself on on his own, but he is not. He is making difficult shots. He's not creating advantage elsewhere or when he does he's not good at identifying where that is and then making an accurate pass to that so like really the lakers to me are like a a a a strong chain with like two links that are very weak right so then it's not a strong chain but i'm actually way more optimistic about this team if they can get the right guys because they are so bad those like ones and twos out of ten in so many areas or not in so many areas in a couple of areas when they're like eights and nines in so many other areas but teams are going to attack those ones and twos like over and over and over again and if we can turn them into fours and fives just be not awful at these things. I think it makes the overall chain just so much stronger that I, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic that if we can get that, we're going to see a, a much better team. I don't know. Do, do you kind of do you agree with that? Or am I being kind of too optimistic here? No, I do agree. But but I would frame it differently within the context of diversification. Right. Mm. And to me in the playoffs, There are multiple ways to win in the playoffs, and the most consistent way that teams win is by being just this blunt force object, right? Like, my guys are better than you. What we do is that dominant. Stand up to me if you want. You're going to get bowled over. Like, early 2000 Lakers are exactly that, right? Like, we got Shaq and Kobe. Y'all MFers don't. You can do whatever you want. Shaq's going to put a shoulder in your chest. You're going to go into the stanchion, and then his legs are going to be up damn near the top of the backboard because he's doing pull-ups, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was what it looked like. (laughs) Uh The other way to win, I feel like, is to be sort of a chameleon and to be able to say, we're going, oh, you want to go small? Guess what? We have a solution for that. Oh, you want to play big with us? Guess what? We can do some of that too. Whatever advantage that you think that you had over us, we have enough talent to neutralize that. And then when it's time for us to use that more blunt force tool, we're, we're already better than you in this Mm -hmm. key way, right? And and so your advantages over us are not as glaring as our advantages over you. And in the big picture of a seven-game playoff series, our advantages win, right? And I think the Houston game was a perfect example of sort of that issue that is facing the Lakers, not because like, oh, they're going to play Houston and lose in a seven-game series. I actually do not think that. But in that one single game, you saw these are the Lakers' issues. They they are having Mm -hmm. trouble beating switches because they don't have individual shot creation. Their advantages as big men got neutralized, and so Vogel went to smaller lineups in order to better match up against smaller matchups against Houston. The Lakers didn't have sort of that wing dog defender that they could sort of sick on Russell Westbrook to match that intensity and force that he was playing with. And enough of those things went in Houston's favor, as well as like the really good shooting and spacing that they spread the Lakers out with. And they won. 
And that mm-hmm. was it. On that night, Houston's advantages were better and mm-hmm. better than the Lakers' advantages were. And they did a better job of deploying those advantages over the course of a full game. Over the course of a full playoff series, I'm more of the mind that the Lakers can adjust and be better and hide some of their weaknesses a little bit more. But is if, as you said, if they can just raise the floor on some of those weaknesses a little bit, they're not going to raise the ceiling on on those weaknesses, but they need to raise the floor on them. And if they can raise the floor just a little bit more, one or two notches up, right? Rather than being Mm -hmm. in the basement, let's just get to the second floor. We don't got to be at the the top of the damn Salesforce tower, right? We need (laughs) to be just like, oh, let's take the elevator up a couple of floors and let's see where we are. And that's what the Lakers need to do mm-hmm. with some of the deficiencies that, that are on their roster. Because honestly, man, th- they LeBron James is so damn good. Anthony Davis is so damn good. They have, I, I think they're really well coached. I think they're mm-hmm. really prepared. And each night, those things are going to make a big difference, especially in a playoff series. The flip side of that, though, is is when teams start to drill down and attack your specific weaknesses, things can get problematic. And it's like, okay, this series is 1-1, and, and the Lakers are going on the road for game three. This series is, is 2-2, and now are the Lakers down 3-2? Going, right? Like, there right. is... There are little things in a playoff series that can matter just exponentially because the value and the stakes are so high. And so what you're talking about is so important, man. Like they just need they need to find ways to to improve some of these deficiencies or else it's going to be a problem. Like they're so good and I have confidence in them long term regardless Right. But I'm trying to put them in the position where they are the best version of themselves, mm-hmm. considering the top end talent that they have. And that means getting better. It's it's not it's not going to be a problem. They will not win an NBA championship if they don't address those things. It's as simple as that. But uh, hopefully help is on the way. We will talk about it in the next episode. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation.
Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.